I'm going to play you a song, Kat. Good. I'm ready. All right. You like music, right? Of course. Doesn't everyone? Let's see if you've heard this one before. Heard it? Yeah. You have? Of course. I'm a, I grew up in the 90s, sort of. <laughs> Is that when it came out? Wasn't it? I don't know. It was like 90s. It's got like that kind of like makes your head jerk forward, like hard, like without you even realizing you're doing it. It's one of those. Yeah, White Stripes, right? Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Like, literally, if that song is from the 90s, I feel so old. <laughs> Maybe it's the 2000s. <laughs> it all blends together after a while. I'd have to look it up. 90s, probably early 2000s, right? Even if you didn't know that this was Jack White and it was the White Stripes, you might have heard it played during sporting events, typically in stadiums, especially that great bass line. That drum beat is really quite catchy, right? Do, 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 do. So, okay, why are you playing this? This song, for whatever reason, gets stuck in my head all the time. Like sometimes when I'm doing nothing or very little, like making tea or doing chores, it just begins to play in my head. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you mean like an earworm. Yeah, an earworm, sometimes called a brainworm or sticky music. The music bores into your brain and just stays there. <laughs> when you put it like that. Songs can get stuck in your head and sometimes just don't go away, like for hours or even weeks. There are other characteristics of earworms, too. I talked to Ben Cubitt, a postdoctoral researcher in cognitive neuroscience at the UC Davis Center for Mind and Brain, and he described earworms like this. They start spontaneously. If I have an earworm, no one asked me to imagine the song, and it's often not clear I even wanted to start imagining the song in the first place, right? They also repeat involuntarily on a short loop, so typically somewhere between five and 30 seconds in length. See how I did that there, Kat? I'm demonstrating how it repeats in my head. It's what makes this White Stripes song such a perfect earworm. That first fragment is about eight seconds. I usually get halfway through the next segment with drums which is about 25 seconds, and then it repeats from the beginning. Okay, I get it. So, well, I get earworms all the time, too. Like, there's this James Brown song. It's great. It's called Get Up Off of That Thing. You know it? You mean this one? Get up off of that thing and dance to you. Sing it now. Get up off of that thing and dance to you. You better get up off of that thing. Yeah. I actually like that one. I mean, a lot of earworms are like the ones you don't want there. I actually like that one, but it pops in all the time. Usually when I'm like trying to get my kids to do something, like to, you know, get up off of their things, to go do something. And it's just like, it's right there in my ear. There's James. It's funny. Cause I imagine that happens a lot with your kids. Yes. <laughs> it does all the time. Cognitive neuroscientists say earworms typically have a fast-paced tempo and an easy-to-remember melody. They're usually songs that you hear a lot, 
that James Brown song checks off all of those boxes. Turns out there is a good reason we get earworms. They play a role in helping memories form. So it's a way to help us remember? Yeah, it's a way to help us strengthen memories as they first form. Cubit is one of the researchers at UC Davis studying earworms, which I find completely cool. Totally. I mean, I imagine we're going to get to hear music in this episode of Unfold. I think we have to. We're going to unfold your brain a bit, so to speak, and answer the question, why is that song stuck in my head? Coming to you from UC Davis, this is Unfold, a podcast that breaks down complicated problems and unfolds curiosity-driven research. I'm Amy Quinton. And I'm Kat Curlin. Before we get into earworms, we have to understand music's effect on the brain. We are, as humans, a musical species. Several scientists have written about this, most notably Oliver Sacks in his book Musicophilia. Have you read that? I have not read it. I've heard about it, though. Well, I imagine you've heard about the effect music can have on people with Alzheimer's or other cognitive disorders, right? Yeah, like sometimes they'll have these moments of clarity when familiar music is played, remembering the song or who they are. Wasn't there even a documentary about that? There was. It was called Alive Inside. In fact, Ben Cubitt, who we just heard from, saw that documentary and it really sparked his interest in studying how music affects the brain. Science has shown that our brains are just sort of hardwired to connect music with memory. I'm sure you've had an experience where you heard an old song and it brought back memories. Like this one, maybe? But I guess that's why they say every rose has its thumb. <laughs> Just like every Oh, man. Okay, I'll spare you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's visceral. <laughs> it's like I am immediately back in, like, dark room, junior high gym, full of sweaty, over-coloned boys, like, too close, and awkwardly slow dancing. That's that song. So thanks for that. (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) So this is what cognitive neuroscientists call music-evoked remembering. You play a piece of music, and it takes you right back to that moment in time when you were going to dances in junior high school, which is funny because my music-evoked remembering often also takes me back to eighth grade. But it's likely a song that absolutely everybody remembers. Michael Jackson. Right, from Thriller. Yeah, that's a good one though. Like, that's good memories. Now that's gonna be in your head. (laughs) Totally takes me back to when I was 13. That whole album does. Like, I can remember this vividly. Watching the music video of this on MTV, you know, back when MTV played music, and dancing to it with friends at my house. Amy, if I didn't know any better, I'd say you are just doing this episode to play music. Well, okay, I'll get on with it. I talked with Peter Donata, a cognitive neuroscientist with the UC Davis Center for Mind and Brain. He did a neuroimaging study to see what happens inside your head when listening to music that evokes memories. What I found in that study was that a set of brain areas that uh, had been shown in previous studies of autobiographical memory 
uh, that those also are strongly engaged um, when we're uh, listening to music. He was looking specifically at a part of the brain called the medial prefrontal cortex, which is just right behind the forehead. That's a part of the brain that integrates our sense of self, emotional aspects of that, as well as our um, uh, social relationships. So is he suggesting that music naturally becomes associated with our sense of self and emotions? It's using the same part of the brain. Yes, exactly. How did he figure this out? He put study participants in a scanner and played music for them, asking whether the song was familiar, memory evoking, and also how much they enjoyed it. Then he looked at what was happening inside their brain. These brain regions in the medial prefrontal cortex, sort of in the the bottom aspect of it, which are very involved in emotion, um, were more active when people enjoyed the music. And it turned out that there are certain spots there that responded more strongly both when the music was more memory evoking and also when it was experienced as uh, more pleasing. And that piqued Peter's curiosity even more. He wondered, how do those music evoked memories form in the first place? And why do they seem to last so long? You mean like, why does every rose have its thorn take me straight back to eighth grade? Exactly. You know, you can just hear a fragment of that piece of music, and yet that remembering experience is so vivid, uh, which suggests that there's a very, very strong association between the, the music and the memory for the other stuff somehow. Peter says decades of memory research shows that we remember best when something is rehearsed. So as we think about something over and over again, the memory becomes stronger. Makes sense. But here's the thing. With music-evoked remembering, we're not actively engaging in that memory, right? At least not all the time. You're not thinking about your friends in eighth grade dances all the time, rehearsing it over and over again. (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) What speaks to that also is the fact that, you know, people will often say, wow, I haven't thought of this in years. So that means that there, there had you know, I figured there had to be some sort of rehearsal mechanism that wasn't for the, you know, life event content itself. And so it occurred to me that the, the form of rehearsal that's constantly happening in our minds is songs that get stuck in our head. Oh, the earworm. Well, that is what Peter and Ben Cubitt, who we heard from earlier, set out to test. Cubitt is Peter's grad student. They say one of the ways that a song gets stuck in your head is by repeated exposure, right? Like, I am positive that I had repeated exposure to the song Billie Jean on Michael Jackson's Thriller album, which was the best-selling album of all time. And so if you're listening to a particular piece of music, like you're listening to Thriller all the time in eighth grade, then... um, you know, you're often doing that in the context of listening to it with friends or sharing those experiences with friends. And so the music has become at that time in your life associated with people and places. And then by virtue of that song getting stuck in your head and repeating it, even though you're just singing that song in your mind, the idea was, the hypothesis was that that is also Uh, just incidentally, kind of automatically helping to reinforce um, this other uh, memory content. We started to think of earworms as an example of spontaneous memory reactivation or replay. Again, Ben Cubitt. 
So uh, Peter and I basically set out to create these kind of music-associated memories in the lab uh, and look at whether earworms not only influence memory for the music itself, but also memory for events, people, and places that become associated with the music. So Amy, how did they test this in a lab? This is where it gets really interesting. You can imagine it wasn't easy. And in fact, it took Peter and Ben more than six years to figure out how to even set up the experiment. I mean, first of all, you've got to be able to induce an earworm in someone with for music they've never heard before. Why is that? Well, it has to be a completely controlled experiment. Participants in the study can't already have an earworm for something, and some music might induce an earworm for some, and it might not for others. So they needed multiple pieces of music. You can imagine the difficulty. Yeah, if they had to play unfamiliar music that would form an earworm, how did they know what to play? They just created something simple, like this, using software like GarageBand. It's just a short musical loop. Okay, that's catchy. Precisely, catchy and loopy. It can't be too long or it would be unlikely to induce an earworm. Study participants were also in front of a computer screen. In the study, we first get people to form memory for music stimuli. It's basically just by having them listen to it over and over again while they perform kind of menial attention tasks like pressing a button. Uh, whenever you see a red square. And why are they performing these tasks? Ben says if a task is menial, you're more likely to form an earworm than if you're actively engaged in an activity. So they set up this experiment to have participants perform both engaging activities and menial activities. But researchers also had to make sure that some of the music they were playing would not become an earworm. For a control. Right. So guess what they played? Um, by Philip Glass. <laughs> Funny cat. <laughs> I think that could be an earworm once you hear it. But here's what they did play. <laughs> That kind of just sounds like noise, or like a band warming up. <laughs> you still hear musical instruments, it's just sort of scrambled. Ben says a key component to music is the predictability or the rhythm, and these loops just don't have that. And so it seems to be like if you take away the brain's ability to kind of encode a musical sequence by shuffling it up and making it really unpredictable, uh, you also seem to prevent the brain from reactivating that memory and experiencing it as an earworm. Yeah, they're definitely not catchy. Stop playing it. Back to the experiment. So at this point, some people are hearing catchy tunes that could form earworms. Some tunes they're hearing will not cause participants to form earworms. And meanwhile, they're performing tasks that require various attention levels. So then what? So that's day one, all about creating these earworms or music memories, as Ben put it. Then... Subjects leave the lab, they kind of go about their day-to-day -day lives, they come back a week later, uh, and now they watch four or five cartoon movie shorts, each paired with the music they heard on the first day. So Kat, these are cartoon movies that they've never seen before because they hadn't been released to the public. The idea here is to create new memories, and the movies are serving that purpose. And they're forming an association between the music 
and the movie. You know, I, I don't know why, but this is so reminding me of A Clockwork Orange. Well, it's not aversion therapy for violence. <laughs> it's music and cartoons. It gets a G rating. And no Beethoven. Right. Oh, and Peter says there was one more key detail about the music and the movie. So what was cool, so that this was part of the design, was that we edited it so that each loop would loop for 30 seconds. You know, there's a total of two minutes of the music, and we edited the cartoons to be two minutes long, which means that each consecutive 30-second segment of the movie was uniquely associated with a loop. And this was absolutely critical. Why was it critical? Well, remember what they're trying to figure out. Is the earworm helping solidify the memory? In other words, helping the memory first form. So if, let's say, the third loop in the soundtrack becomes an earworm and the others don't, then you should remember more details from that third um, segment of the movie than the other segments. You know, that was the prediction. So after they watch the movie, along with its soundtrack, subjects leave the lab and return one to four weeks later. They're asked to recall the movie, just as many details as possible. And? And we found that the more often that a piece of music played in a person's head, the more accurate the memory for the tune became. And critically, the kind of exciting, most exciting result, uh, the more details the person remembered from the specific section of the movie with which the tune was paired. So it worked. Yes. Peter and Ben found that people's memories of the movie, even after time had passed, were as good as if they had just watched it. So as long as they experienced the earworm, it helped preserve those memories of the movie. Wow. <laughs> so this is really showing that there is a benefit to getting earworms. Yeah, even really annoying earworms are somehow helping memories form. Why are so many earworms so annoying? Well, I asked Ben that. I think a lot of those those annoying songs are really memorable in the sense that their structure is like really catchy. Uh, and so I think it's easy kind of for the brain to, you know, grab on and remember these things. And as a result, those memories tend to then reactivate and kind of pop into your head. Um, you know, another reason, you know, so it's easier to form these memories, but you also end up hearing that annoying song uh, quite a bit, whether it's on TV or, you know, follows you whether you're, when you're driving in the car on the radio or it comes in and comes on in a movie. But I guess that's why they say every rose has its thumb. <laughs> Amy? Stop playing that song. Sorry, just demonstrating an annoying earworm I'm having. Ugh. Peter pointed out another positive or interesting aspect to earworms, even the annoying ones. He says to think of it this way. Our brain is always active, even when we sleep. So the brain has to do something if we're not actively engaged in activity and giving it a workout, right? Right. So cue the earworm. And so our brains just kind of start playing music. You know, why not put on some background music for our brain? And that's basically what these earworms are. <sighs> Stop. Are you trying to induce an earworm, Amy? I don't know. <laughs>
So I'm wondering if Peter and Ben are going to be doing additional research on music and memory. Because it seems to me if earworms help us consolidate memories, it might help people with memory loss, right? In some way. Peter is hoping that's exactly where this research leads. More excitingly, even, it really opens up opportunities for trying to use uh, earworms as a memory aid. Uh, One can now imagine, you know, trying to attach music to other information that you really want to remember and, you know, try to make that an earworm in in hopes that that will uh, facilitate strengthening the memories for, you know, perhaps even activities of daily life or, you know, events that occurred or, you know, any number of things that a person might want to, you know, try to retain in memory. He says this might help people with mild cognitive impairment or people just starting to have issues with memory loss so they can live more independently. I imagine you could use earworms to help them remember people. Interestingly, their current research would be really similar to the earworm and memory study, but instead of asking study participants to remember movies by using earworms, they're hoping they can remember facial profiles and biographical information. Hmm, Wow. Well, that could have a lot of different applications. Right. Can you imagine if people started attaching musical loops or earworms to their Facebook profile? This could happen. Well, then maybe they would get annoyingly stuck in my head, too. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. So what would be your earworm if you had to attach it to your own face? To me? Um, oh, man. Okay. Honestly, I don't know. I have to think about that. But I do know it would not be Every Rose Has Its Thorn. No, no. Well, mine would probably be Unfold's Outcue music. <laughs> it's becoming an earworm. I'm sure. So like this? Precisely. You can read about Peter Janata and Ben Kubit's research at ucdavis.edu slash curiosity. And you can listen to all of Unfold's episodes at ucdavis.edu slash unfold. I'm Kat Curlin. And I'm Amy Quinton. Thanks for listening. Unfold is a production of UC Davis. It's produced by Cody Drabble. Original music for Unfold comes from Damian Verrett and Curtis Jerome Haynes. If you like this podcast, check out UC Davis's other podcast, The Backdrop. It's a monthly interview program featuring conversations with UC Davis scholars and researchers working in the social sciences, humanities, arts, and culture. Hosted by public radio veteran Soterius Johnson, the conversations feature new work and expertise on a trending topic in the news. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.